The Star Blades, the Sheffield United podcast from the Star in Sheffield. Previously on the Wilder years, after their incredible and rapid rise, plucky Sheffield United faced their toughest challenge yet, the big bad Premier League. But they proved again that it's not about the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. After 28 matches, only three teams had lost fewer games than the Blades, who sat seventh in the table when COVID-19 struck. But now they are back and ready for the final stretch of one of the greatest seasons in the club's history, with the real opportunity to secure European football 2020-21, whenever that might be. Welcome to the Star Blades and the return of our Sheffield United podcast. I'm Liam Horden. Joining me is a man who's delved into the ins and outs of all things Blades for the best part of two decades, James Shield. How's the lockdown here been for you, James? Yeah, different, challenging, uh, but it's just great to get football back, isn't it? Especially when I've listened to your intro there, Liam. That's uh, that, that's really got me pumped up for the uh, for the return, even more so than I was than I was before. But no, it's uh, it's it's been challenging. Uh, from a from a sort of a journalist point of view, but I think everybody, like everybody else out there, everybody to see the national game back on the agenda now. Completing the Stars United reporting duo, he's written two books on the Blades and he's got more on the way. It's Danny Hall. Uh, how's the last three months been for you, Danny? Um, down for a haircut, <laughs> as you can probably tell. Um, yeah, like James said there, I mean, everyone's... Well, None more so than us, delighted to have football back. It's been a long, long, long three months um, and everyone's delighted to kind of see it back. And uh, I think you've just written Chris Wilder's team talk for him tomorrow as well. I think you should play that in the... In, also, I was going to say in the dressing room, but you should play that in the, the media room, which is where we're getting changed at Villa Park tomorrow night. But yeah, tub-thumping speech for myself there, Liam. Um, yeah, and we're looking forward to it even more so now. Rounding off our panel, uh, the stars all to Chris Holt. How are you, Chris? I'm all right, Liam. Ready for action. You, you sound it. You sound it, anyway. <laughs> oh, I think he's frozen. Yes, we are recording on a video conferencing uh, site, After so there the may be some audio issues uh, as we go along. Um, I think we've already encountered some. So, yes, uh, yeah, we're up and running again. Um, thinking back, this might be the daftest of questions, James, but um, how do you assess the season so far from a United perspective? It's been wonderful, hasn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Like you said, they, they started off in August uh, being told that they weren't good enough for the big, bad Premier League, that they were effectively going to be cannon fodder for a lot of the, a lot of the big guns in, in English football. And that, you know, basically, I think the, from a lot of the pundits' perspective, the, the point of the exercise... For Sheffield United was to to go up, spend eight or nine months enjoying themselves, and then to go back, you know, have their head rubbed, and go back to where most people felt they belonged. Fortunately, Chris Wilder and his players, and and also the supporters actually as well, who, you know, without being sort of corny about it, have been absolutely magnificent all the way through. They've, they've brought a real atmosphere to Bramall Lane, and that's that for me is one of the big, big sort of disappointments. Although we are sort of delighted to see football back and the fans will be delighted to see football back. It is the supporters at Bramall Lane and on the road as well that have, you know, contributed so much to what's been a, a brilliant season so far for, for Sheffield United. And if you would have said in August that, you know, the word Sheffield and United 
would have been mentioned so often in the conversation about European football. I think most of us would have would have probably laughed. Uh, I think you know a lot of us in in Star Towers, as it were, felt they had enough to to stay up. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that I thought that they would be they would be challenging for a place in Europe at this point of the season. I didn't. Absolutely phenomenal stuff from uh, from Chris Wilder and his players. I think there's reasons for it. We'll doubtless get into those into those shortly. The only thing I will say is don't mention the word Europe in uh, in Chris Wilder's company because during his his pre-match press conference, he was uh, he made it pretty clear that the only time he's actually going to be sort of mentioning that and entertaining the prospect of potentially going to places like Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and Barcelona next season uh, is if they're still in the fray with two games to go. And do you know what? I wouldn't bet against them. Where does it all rank for you, Danny? Well, in my lifetime, uh, which has been... Um, it's a, it's a kind of unique Sheffield United trait where every game, every big game in the history that I've been watching them and following them, uh, they failed, basically. Uh, going back to, obviously I was very young in 94 when they were relegated on the last day at James's Boys uh, at the bridge when they were something like 12 at half time or something and somehow conspired to be relegated. Uh, playoff final 97, lost that in the last minute, um, 2003. Two semi-finals, lost them both. Playoff final, lost that one. You know, you can go through, you know, the last 20, 30 years and, you know, there's been disappointment after disappointment and they've got so close and ultimately fell short. So that that's the, you know, Chris Wilder's changed so much about, about Sheffield United, but that's one of the most impressive things for me that he's kind of changed the, the mentality of the club. You know, people now, fans, expect to go to games and they know that the team will turn up. When so many times before we've been into big games, and you know, um, you know the team for whatever reason have just have just fallen short. But you you know that nine times out of ten, at least under Chris Wilder, that won't happen. Uh, and if it, you know, on the odd occasion that they don't turn up, you know, he's honest enough to uh, to admit that, and you know, let them know more than anyone that they've fallen short. So, yeah, in terms of. In terms of seasons following Sheffield United, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's been nothing like it for me. You know, the fact that this team is on the on the cusp of being the first ever Sheffield United team to qualify for Europe is just unbelievable. I mean, every time that I write now Sheffield United and Europe in the same sentence, I laugh out loud because you know it is a long time ago now since the League One days, but at the same time. In football terms, it's also a really short space of time, if that makes sense. Uh, and to do what he's done and turn it around as he has in, in four years, unbelievable. So, yeah, at times you kind of struggle to to think of the superlatives to describe the journey the club's been on. Um, but, yeah, that's our job. So, hopefully we'll be able to do it for a while more. A while more yeah. In fairness, if I can just jump in there, I think Danny's absolutely right. And it's something, the building blocks for this, you mentioned that, sort of the League One days, which, you know, wasn't that long ago. That's, that's the strange thing about it. We're only talking 2016-17 here. But the, the building blocks for what you're seeing now, I believe, were actually sort of were, were put in place then, not only because of the, the recruitment, because you've got to give an awful lot of credit to, you know, I mean, you, you can't praise Chris Wilder and his assistant, Alan Neal, enough I think you can't praise the sort of head of recruitment Paul Mitchell enough or the players enough in this because 
you know, ultimately, you can have the best manager in the world. He can be telling his players all the right things. If they don't have sort of the character and the right attitude, but also, and this is often the thing that gets lost in the conversation about Sheffield United at the moment, the talent as well, then ultimately it counts for nothing. And I, I always remember, actually, it was, it was just after, and I thought this was so, so significant, it was just after uh, they'd won the, the League One title. They were obviously pushing for, for promotion that first season from the Championship. And I can remember the possibility of the playoffs was raised. And normally, you know, that, that's enough to sort of send a, a, a shiver down the spine of any sort of Sheffield United fan or any Sheffield United manager. And trust, you know, trust me, and Danny will know this as well. Danny has seen this in the last few years. When it's been mentioned under Sheffield United fans in the past, perhaps with one notable exception, you've seen that sort of, oh my God, that, that fear about the playoffs as well. And you felt it around the, tra- around the training ground when they've been preparing for playoff games. But what you got from this group of players back then was just this sort of, whenever that terrible playoff record was mentioned, you just got to shrug of the shoulders. And, you know, well, that was then, this is now. What, what on earth does what happened at Wembley five years ago sort of have to do with us? And you could see it was just almost like pressing the reset button in terms of the attitude and the outlook at Bramall Lane. And I think that's one of the things that's carried them so far this season. They've, they, they have had respect for the opposition. Uh, and you've seen that in, in, in the way that they've set up for some games. But you know what? They've not had too much respect, if you know what I mean. And they've also had respect for themselves and, and respect for their own capabilities. And I, I think that's been so, so important this year. Chris, we... Um... We've obviously known what United have been all about for the last three or four years. Um, and obviously there's been some fairly high profile kind of being written off by uh, people time and time again. I think one of the pleasures that this season has been that the wider footballing world has come to realise what Sheffield United are all about and what they're capable of. And you're hearing them talked about in, in such glowing terms on a regular basis. We lost Chris again. Anybody else want to jump in on that <laughs> Does anybody else want to jump in on that that point? Kind of, they are they they're held in such high regard again. Uh, Sheffield United and, and and talked about a lot, with some notable exceptions, of course, when it comes to predicting uh, results. Yeah, it's not bad for a basic football team, is it? <laughs> um, I think you know every time every game on social media, the kind of there's a, a picture of the Daily Mail front uh, page. Sorry where every single um, pundit predicted them to be relegated. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, they were wrong to do that. Like James said before, the people who followed the club for long enough, you know, knew they had enough to stay up. Uh, but when you look at the kind of, you know, lack of Premier League experience that United had before the start of the season, the money they spent, which for Sheffield United terms was an absolute fortune in Premier League terms was you know, basically pennies, um, you know, spending a £20 million on a player was unheard of for this club. But in terms of the wider league, um, you know, you know, wouldn't have even, you know, made headlines anywhere, I suppose. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm not going to sit here and criticise pundits for predicting them to struggle. Um, I'm happy to say that I didn't. I think I tipped a, a mid-table finish, uh, which looks like being drastically wrong as well, I'm happy to say. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I think one of the one of the many many 
positives this season is kind of ramming that down people's throats. You know, talk about uh, you know there's going to come up and like James said, enjoy the days out at places like this, and then you know go back to where they they kind of belong. But I think the pre the preseason conversation was all about you know how much spirit they have and all that kind of you know northern grit and endeavour and how they're going to kick people up in the air and boot you know these superstars off the pitch and stuff. And I think hopefully now people are starting to realise that there is there is that endeavour in the team and that not that I probably shouldn't use that word <laughs> after the Atkins years there is that kind of um, you know team spirit and all that kind of stuff in there which is a given under Chris Wilder. But there's also some damn fine players in that team who can play, uh, which I don't think should be overlooked. And to be fair, I don't think it is. I think there is still kind of a, a perception that, you know, this is just a, a short-term thing and eventually they'll fade away and, you know, the kind of natural order will be restored a little bit. Uh, but I wonder if Chris secretly, deep down, kind of likes that because, you know, the challenges that he's had to overcome in his, in his career, you know, this will probably be the, one of the biggest. Uh, and I think he'll kind of take that, he'll take that head on and, and thrive on it. James, you had the opportunity to speak to uh, to Chris as, as part of the media call on Monday. Um, how does he feel preparations have gone then for this? What's going to be a really intense finish to the season and uh, and obviously Wednesday night against uh, Aston Villa in particular? Well, he seems really pleased. Uh, you know, I think he feels the players have come back in good shape. He feels the players have gone away and, and followed their sort of individual fitness programmes to the letter. And that has enabled them to sort of come back in a position where they can actually work on football rather than fitness. And I think because the, the preparation time so limited, I think that's absolutely key. I mean, I did a piece this week with a couple of boxers and it was interesting. You know, they're, they're both sort of, well, they both won steel fights, won four in, in sort of lower weight limits. And they were talking about that importance of being in a constant state of readiness because it meant they could work on the technical skills rather than just shedding a, a few pounds so Chris is is absolutely I mean delighted I think it's fair to say with with the way that the players have have handled themselves and behaved themselves sort of during this three-month period that we've had out of the game but I think ultimately as well and there's no point in getting away from this there's no point in trying to disguise the fact that like in the Premier League, there is a degree that he's now entering the entering the unknown uh, because you know the reset button has been pressed. I think the the whole landscape of the, of the Premier League has changed in the in the three months that we've been out. There's obviously been some law changes. There's obviously been changes in terms of the the makeup of some of the squads in terms of players who would have missed the end of the season coming back and being available for, for selection now and some damn good players at, at other clubs as well. But no, by and large, I think as, uh, you know, as much as he can know, as far as he can take that, I, I, I think Chris is, is pretty confident in terms of, uh, of what Sheffield United can do between now and the end of the season. And he's quite right to do, he's, you know, he's quite right to be so, I think, because the one thing, as Danny's touched on there, that this... This squad of players has consistently done is exceed sort of expectations and has overcome pretty much every challenge that's been that's been put in their way. And again, you know, I'll use this phrase again. There's no point in disguising the fact. And make no mistake, though, this is a big, big challenge for Sheffield United now. Not just over the course of the next ten or so games in the Premier League. Of course, they're still in the FA Cup. But the next big challenge for them is actually to go out and show that this isn't 
sort of a flash in the pan type season that this is the start of, of something potentially very, very, very big uh, at Bramall Lane. And I think, you know, it is a challenge that they'll, that they'll relish taking on. But it will be a tough one because people start to sit up and take notice of Sheffield United now. And I think we all know what that means. Yeah. It'll have been interesting, Danny, for, uh, for Chris, because basically it'll have been reaffirming what was already done. You, you've seen other managers have used this opportunity almost like a pre-season to get their ideas across. I think Jose Mourinho at, uh, at uh, Tottenham and obviously teams down at the bottom looking to kind of re-energise themselves for, for this running. But the United, it'll have all been about kind of reaffirming what they've been doing good over that first uh, two-thirds of the season. Yeah, just get out there and do it again. Mm. Sounds simple, doesn't it, when you say it on, <laughs> on a Zoom call, but I suppose... You know, there's far more factors to, to take into account than that, you know. Um, I've no doubt, as, as Chris has said before, that, you know, the players have stuck to the, you know, the plans rigidly. Lockdown, you know, they'll be as fit as ever. I think Ollie Norwood said they'd come back fitter than when they went away. Um, but yeah, like Jim said there, as Chris said yesterday, you know, until I think the ball starts rolling, that was his new catchphrase yesterday. I think he used that three or four times. Uh, until that ball rolls at Phillip Park at 6pm, you know, no one knows what, what's going to happen. You know, it's just going to be so, so strange kind of getting used to, you know, it's it basically pre-season again, isn't it? You know, where you see the first the first games of pre-season where everyone's a bit tentative and kind of getting back into it, easing, easing back in gently. Because, you know, you can play as many behind closed doors, uh, practice games, balance games um, amongst yourselves or against other teams as you like, but nothing will kind of replicate that, that intensity. Uh, I think we'll have to get used to the fact that for the first few games, it won't be as intense as games that were before, before the break. Uh, will that suit Sheffield United? Will it hinder them? You know, it's impossible to really say. So, yeah, we'll see what happens on uh, tomorrow night at 6pm. James, what's the uh, latest on Dean Henderson's situation? Uh, yeah, it's, it's been confirmed that Manchester United have sort of agreed to, to let Dean stay and, and see out his loan uh, for the rest of the season, which is great news for Sheffield United. I mean, one of the, one of the great strengths that this squad has, has had in the Premier League this season is, is their sort of defence. I mean, only Liverpool have, have conceded fewer goals. And when you look at some of the other sort of clubs in the division, that, that's quite a remarkable achievement for Sheffield United. It was a really, really important achievement as well because... I think it's fair to say they don't have the money at this stage of their development and evolution to go out and bring in what you would sort of describe as established 20-goal-a-season sort of centre-forwards in the Premier League. So goals were always going to be sort of very, very precious for the team, which meant that, you know, the defence had to, had to perform really well. Dean Henderson has been an absolutely crucial part of that defence, you know. You, you, I'll often say sort of John Egan anchors it at the, you know, in the middle of those sort of three centre-halves. But really, when you think about it, in terms of the organisation, in terms of being able to see the whole picture, it's Dean Henderson. And I think it's just that there's an aura about the kid. You know, it, it seems a daft thing to say at, at 23 years of age. But I think had Dean Henderson not been allowed to see out his loan, uh, because, of course, you know, he was due to go back about now, you know, that, that would have been a real body blow for Sheffield United. And I mean that with no disrespect towards Simon Moore or Michael Verrett, who are both very, very good good goalkeepers in their own right. But there's no way you could address that up as a, as a positive. Of course, the big thing now 
is what happens with Dean Henderson next season. Uh, it's been well documented that Sheffield United want him back. Uh, it's been sort of well documented that Manchester United have got a, a big decision to make about you know whether they they give Dean a, a chance to challenge David De Gea for the for the number one spot at Old Trafford. I think anybody probably who tells you they know one hundred percent what's going to happen at this stage next season are sort of probably they're probably trying to kid you. But do you know what? Let's worry about next season. Next season, I think it's just it's great news that that Dean Anderson is uh, is going to be staying at Bramall Lane. More great news, Danny. David McGoldrick um, and, and a new deal for him joining sort of Billy Sharp and uh, Ollie Norwood as a team. But McGoldrick has been so key to what United have been all about this season. An unbelievable story as well. You know, someone who came in on a free on a on trial, I think it's, it's fair. It's not rewriting history to say that, you know, when the news came, I think Jim wrote the story that he was in on trial. Um, I don't think it kind of got the, the phone lines melting <laughs> into the radio stations and, you know, people... Uh, kind of, you know, frothing at the mouth with excitement when it when was confirmed. Um, but yeah, what an unbelievable turnaround and what a player, you know. Probably one of the, the players that I really enjoy watching the most, the way that he kind of, you know, drops deep, links to play and stuff. And, you know, strikers are always judged on goals and people say that, but, you know, David is one of those players that brings so, so much more to Sheffield United. Um, I think Chris early in the season said that if he, you know, got to the end of the season without scoring and still gave him, you know, everything else, then he would be happy with that because he brings brings so much. So yeah, it's good to see, you know, kind of key players uh signing up, you know, the clubs kind of taking ownership of of contracts to a degree. Um, you know, just just down on, on, on Dean as well, you know, I think it goes overlooked sometimes that this kid is playing Premier League football at such a young age amongst the backdrop of his future being talked about pretty much every day. You know, through this lockdown, there was a period where I think we must have written about Dean Henderson more than all of his teammates combined because every day it was, you know, what's going to happen with him? You know, is he going to, is he going to go back? Is he going to come? You know, and it, it, it's difficult to feel too sorry for him because, you know, there's a lot of footballers out there, you know, lower down the leagues who would kill for the security that he has. So it's hard to feel too much sympathy for him. But that's still a lot of, you know, kind of, that's a lot of stuff for a young lad to deal with as well as playing. You know, he's not just playing, he's playing exceptionally well, you know, at the top end of the Premier League. So, um, yeah, again, on, on Dean as well, you know, some of the, the wider media coverage of it with this kind of loan situation still seems to be uh, that Man United are doing Sheffield United a favour by loaning him, uh, which seems a bit unfair given what Sheffield United have done for Dean and consequently for Man United. I mean, I know it seems to be forgotten that when before he came to Sheffield United, the kid always says a League One player. He wasn't a League One player because he was obviously better than that standard, but he was playing in League One. I mean me and you watched him in the in the player final, didn't we for Shrewsbury Lib. Yeah. the chance to play a championship which he never played for never played him before. Uh, and then obviously gave him the chance to play in the Premier League as well. So I think as, as good as Dean's been for Sheffield United, uh, Sheffield United's been damn good for him as well. Uh, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully, obviously now he can stay to the end of the season, but hopefully a third loan spell would kind of seem to suit all, seem to suit all parties. I'll tell you what, it would certainly suit all three parties, I think, as well, if Sheffield United can whisper it quietly, get into Europe, because... Mm-hmm. 
that's the one thing that Dean's not really got on his CV at the moment, isn't it? And, you know, I, I do think if if the team can get a get a place in either the Champions League or the Europa League, I, I suspect people at Manchester United will be looking at it thinking, it, it, you know what, it, it now actually makes sense to send him back because mm. they can sort of almost kick that David De Gea problem into the sort of semi-medium longish grass if you if you see what I mean for another season. But I'll tell you what, just touching on something Danny said there as well about the focus on Dean. And I always remember, I, I probably shouldn't be saying this because it sounds like I'm almost writing sort of his, his CV to become Manchester United's number one. And I'm, I'm sure that will happen, but I hope it doesn't happen for another couple of seasons yet. But I was listening to Peter Schmeichel, I think it was around March time, saying, you know, this kid's got to prove it for another couple of years before he can become the first-choice goalkeeper at Manchester United. And listen, Peter's clearly forgotten more about football and more about keeping goal than, than I'll ever know. But I was smiling to myself because I'm thinking, you've obviously never met this lad. <laughs> because one thing that Dean isn't short on is, is self-belief. He'll believe he can go in and, and step in there right now. And I actually think in terms of his career going forward, uh, this this period where there has been so much focus on him, I actually think it's a great thing for Dean. I, I don't think it's a problem at all because if he does want to become Manchester United's number one going forward, if he does want to become England's number one going forward, you know he's not going to do that quietly. You know what comes with the territory of jobs like that is constant scrutiny, day in, day out. So I actually think there'll be part of Dean that's delighted that he's been talked about so much. I know if I was one of his advisors, you know, I would be delighted that he was he was the focus of, of so much attention because it's part of his apprenticeship for the job that he or the jobs that he that he wants in the future. So I think it's a it's a great thing and it it does though. It says a lot about his character and where his sort of professional maturity is, if you like, that he can just pretty much sort of shrug that off and sort of lock it all out and, and get on with the job. If he, if, he, if he isn't locking it all out, he's, uh, I think he should consider a career in acting as well, you know, when he, when he finally hangs up his gloves. So, Wednesday night, six o'clock, it all begins again um, for Sheffield United as they travel to Aston Villa. Um, Danny, what do we make of Villa as a, as a potential challenge? Um, it's one of those games, isn't it? Before the lockdown, you would have looked at it and gone... Nothing, yeah, you know, nothing straightforward uh, in the Premier League, especially. You know, Villa still a really good, you know, big historic club, Villa Park, packed Villa Park. Uh, you know, they've looked at it and gone, it's a tough game, but you know, not one that particularly, you know, wouldn't have stood out as one of the most difficult ones at the start of the season. Uh, now, as we said before, with everything in the unknown a little bit, you know, who knows how, you know, they've come back. Who knows whether, because. There's something that Chris touched on as well yesterday, that this kind of home advantage um, sort of point that people are, are making in terms of losing the support of your fans. Also, you know, I, I, I don't know what the atmosphere was like at Villa Park really this season, uh, but I've been there before when it's been absolutely toxic with the home fans. Uh, I've been at Bramall Lane when it's been toxic towards the home fans as well. And there were times, I imagine, during the League One years, when if you offered Sheffield United a chance to play behind closed doors, they might have taken it, uh, just to kind of get that, <laughs> get the uh, get that negative energy out of the ground. So you know, no one knows. Basically, is the answer. Um, 
you know, I, I won't like to predict how it's going to be. You know, the, the game is probably going to be completely different to anything that we've experienced before in terms of tempo, you know, um, as James touched on before, the new rules in terms of subs, you know, how is that going to all work out? How is that going to affect the balance and the kind of flow of games? Um, so, yeah, I don't know is the answer. Yeah, James touched on earlier very much into the unknown in, in terms of this. And uh, Villa bolstered by the return of John McGinn, which is it was a, a very big player for them. All the thought they were going to be without for, for a big stretch of this, uh, this running. Another chance for John Fleck to put him in his pocket as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's a battle that I think everyone sort of always looks forward to, isn't it? Every time mm. sort of Sheffield United and Villa Villa meet each other. Uh, but so, yeah, I'm, I'm personally looking forward to watching that. I'll be backing John to win it as well. John, John Fleck, of course. <laughs> yeah, John will win it. <laughs> yeah, I, John definitely will win. There will be a particular war, that particular duel. I, do you know what? I actually think this was it was going to be a really tough game, this, I think, even before uh, sort of COVID-19 sort of put the, put the season into mothballs, as it were. Uh, Villa, they're, they're a good side. And there'll be a better side with John McGinn in it as well. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt about that because he is a good player. I don't think he's as good as John Fleck, but John McGinn is a is a is a really really fine footballer, and that will that will be a boost for for Aston Villa to have him back. And you know all the corny cliches, they're fighting for their lives at the bottom of the table. They'll be fired up for this. I think there's no point in denying that for some teams this break came at a very very good time. I think Aston Villa will be one of those teams that if you ask them privately would be saying, you know what, we're actually quite delighted to sort of spend some time just looking at what we've done, taking stock, looking at things we can do a little bit better perhaps, and then getting some time on the, on the training ground to, uh, to sort of organise that defence, which has been a, a real, real weak point of theirs. So I actually don't think they'll have minded this time out. You know, I think, you know, Dean Smith will look at this and think, I can actually use this to my, to my benefit. And there'll be other teams in that boat as well. There's some teams who won't be in that boat. And Sheffield United will be one of those. They, 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 you look at the fact that, yes, teams are pretty much going from a standing start again. And you look at the fact that sort of almost the, the psychological uh, dynamic across the division has, has changed so much as well. I think what was already going to be a really, really tough game for different reasons than perhaps games coming up against sort of Chelsea and, and Tottenham and, and Wolves. I think what was going to be a really, really tough game has just got a, a, a whole lot tougher. And I think if Sheffield United can get three points out of this game, which they're perfectly capable of doing, I actually think it's going to be three of the best points they've got all season. You know, I really do. Genuinely, genuinely mean that. Danny, what's waiting United in off-the-pitch terms as they get to Villa Park and, and deal with the kind of restrictions of, uh, of, sort of COVID-19 that's put on, on the game? Yeah, that'll be. It's not just on the field that things have changed. Um, I think there'll be three going down on three coaches, three separate coaches. One for the first team, I think. One for the rest of the staff, and one for the rest of the rest of the squad, and all the twenty-nine man squad or whatever it is now, with all the extra substitutes. 
um, getting changed in the uh, media suite rather than the dressing room for social distancing. Uh, there's all sorts of restrictions on different zones inside the ground where people can and can't go um, in terms of access. Uh, media restrictions have changed massively. Um, and obviously the big one, you know, there's going to be no one there when they, when they walk out the tunnel or walk out through a stand or wherever they're going to walk out of. Um, and yeah, as, as we said before, no one knows how that's going to, how that's going to play out. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see tomorrow. We certainly will. And it's the start of an exceptionally busy period for Sheffield United. As it stands right now, 11 matches in just six weeks and it could get more busy than that should they progress in the FA Cup with the semi-final set state players slap bang in the middle of that six-week period and then the final just as a, a book ended it really uh, so we'll see how that goes that's pretty much it for this episode of the Star Blades we'll be bringing the episodes regularly throughout this uh, feast of football that is the Premier League running so make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from um, on Twitter follow at the Star Blades for the latest United news and notifications of when the next episode's available, of course. And, of course, head over to the star.co.uk for the very best, unrivaled, unparalleled news, views and analysis of all things Sheffield United. Uh, we'll be bringing you some uh, different sort of features um, as, over match days that are coming, so keep an eye out over that in the uh, in the coming weeks. And why not subscribe to the website? It's, it's only a pound for the first three months and... What better way to take you through this really busy period for Sheffield United than with the best bridge that is out there. Um, thanks for joining us. Take care. And um, we'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks very much. Head over to the star.co.uk for all the latest news, views and analysis of all things Sheffield United. Follow us on Twitter at the Star Blades or search for our dedicated United Facebook group. And remember that you can rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.